The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about the show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. Hey, you're listening to Get the Funk Out. I hope no one is in a funk this Monday. We had a long weekend, didn't we? I hope you all had a very, very happy Thanksgiving. I know I did. I actually started Thanksgiving morning doing something very unusual. I got up at 4.30 in the morning, and I never do this. I'm watching the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, but I got up to go down to the turkey trot, and it was absolutely fantastic event, and I uh, really, really enjoyed it. Drove in the dark, <laughs> showed up about 6 a.m., got a great parking spot, and uh, at 7 o'clock there was a 10K going on and then a 5K and all these fantastic events, and uh, there was an Avere Health and Wellness Expo that was amazing. Really, really enjoyed it. So hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Back to reality. It's Monday. So today's guest is Darlene March of Huntington Beach. She actually lost her job in 2001. Talk about a funk. She definitely epitomizes the theme of the show. She actually went back to school. She networked. She worked on public speaking and found new success in book promotion. It's my pleasure to welcome to today's show, Darlene March. Hi, Darlene. Hi, Janine. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks for calling into this morning's show. You're welcome. Pleased to be here. How was your Thanksgiving? It was wonderful. Family involved and... Um, was it was just a great time. How was yours? It was nice. I don't know if you heard me, but I, I actually got up and did something very different. I went down to the turkey trot in Dana Point. Ah. And I've never done that. I actually had to get up about 4.30 in the morning. Uh, I never do that on Thanksgiving Day. I'm usually <laughs> watching the uh, parade from New York. and But it was so nice. Such and how far did you walk, Janine? I did the 5K. Uh, oh, but okay. I was also shooting some video and interviewing people, and it was a lot of fun. And there was a Navir Health and Wellness Expo for uh, heart heart awareness, uh-huh. and um, with Garter Heart, and they're a nonprofit here. And uh, it just was a lot of fun. There were about fourteen thousand people. Oh my goodness! It was incredible. <laughs> and were you running or walking? I was walking. Okay. I good. was walking. But it was really neat to capture all the action. I mean, there were people from all different, you know, all different ages, and right. it was great. It was a fun thing to do. Well, my hat's off to you. Well, thank you. I was pretty <laughs> tired <laughs> at the end of the day when it was all over, you know, the rush right. of it all. Um, so I, I read about you in the Orange County Register last month, and um, you definitely epitomize one of my guests on the show because this is get the funk out and uh tell me you amazing how you turned your life around because you you lost your job in 2001 right that is correct what right happened after the dot-com crash whoa. right before 9-11 whoa <laughs> tell me what happened well the financial services industry which i worked uh became devastated because you know they just were betting too much on the market going up and it it didn't mm-hmm. it, it went down at that time and severe cutbacks were necessary and i was a successful public relations professional uh within the organization and i had uh grown uh tremendously in the past 10 years in my position there and I had my own office, and things were looking really great. And, <laughs> and then they had the massive layoff. Uh-huh. And, of course, this is a familiar story for many people. You know, I wasn't alone. There were others who were affected even worse than I were because they were sole supporters of families. Right. But, you know, I think that all of those people have turned their lives around in one degree or another. But I, I really uh, am proud of the way I picked myself up and, and carried on in the midst of this funk. Okay, so so how did you do that? Because that would be very inspiring. Okay, I, um, first of all, I didn't know what to do. Okay. 
um, I was told that, well, maybe we could hire you back on contract. And then what? You know, I was never going to be hired back as a full-time person again, and I was told that. And I had this uh, particular talent and skill and experience that would I could go a couple of places with. I could either go off on my own or be on contract with this company that wanted a divorce, but they still wanted to date me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm, I'm thinking about this, and I, had, I even went to, uh, on a long uh, trip back to um, D.C. and sat with the executives there, and I was expecting this wonderful contract offer, and it just wasn't. It was it was a terrible offer. That's awful. It was it was less than I was making before, and I would not um, ever see an opportunity to be hired. Huh. So I went back uh, to Huntington Beach, and I went down to the uh, sugar shack down there with my friend Jean Krieger, who wrote the book Why the Wait Dare to Be Great. Um, <laughs> she was a big inspiration to me. And she said, Darlene, you can do this. You can do this on your own. And I said, oh, Jean, I'm just not uh, good with change. Right. You know, I had been, you know, I'd been on somebody's payroll all of my life, and that, it was a long time. That's not easy, you know. <laughs> no. Well, it's not easy. I think a lot of people at that point in their lives would have made the decision to retire early, but mm-hmm. I couldn't. That, that wasn't me, and I wasn't going to um, go out and just, doing volunteer work or um, golf, playing golf for the next 10 years. Couldn't do that. Sure. So um, how did I turn my life around? Somebody uh, came to me, and actually it was Doug Fabian himself who had hired me back in the 1990s and said, "Um, Darlene, I'm writing a book. Would you like to represent me? And, of course, I was thrilled. That That was my big break. And I do think that when this happens to you in your life, you do need a break um, from someone you know and trust. Yes. And I think that's where my turning point was. I was able to say, okay, I can do this. Mm -hmm. But he said, you know, if you work for yourself, you can make more money than you did on, on someone's payroll. Sure. And I said... I just didn't believe that. <laughs> I, I couldn't see where this all this revenue was going to come from. And uh, the, I think that, for me, was the challenging part of own, uh, starting my own business or starting out on my own. Sure, because it's something you're completely not you know, used to. Right, right. Yeah. But as time went on, and I think this happens to all new biz- business owners, uh, they take anything and everything that comes their way mm-hmm. just so they can be busy. Right. And um, <laughs> I took books that were, uh, talk about funky, um, mm-hmm. this one was a book about kissing. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the woman who wrote this book really did not have much of a PR budget. But I just thought, well, hey, I'm not busy right now. I'm, I'll, I'll do this. Sure. And uh, another guy came to me. Uh, and he said that he, he had a book on art that he wanted to sell. And he, not knowing how much to charge or what people uh, should pay me, mm-hmm. I just lowballed everyone just to get moving in the business. And I do think at the, at the time it was a smart decision to make. Well, it kept you going. It kept, you know, got you working right away and... You know, right. momentum. Right, you know. right. Let me, excuse me one second. How, I, I was reading something you wrote me that you were basically in a funk for six months. You know, I, I think it's healthy to accept that period of time as it's okay to be depressed. It's okay to be uncertain. Um, because then you we wake up one morning and we're like, okay, we're ready to go now. Right. You know? And, you know, the funny thing about it is when you're in this state of funk, you don't think you'll ever get out of it. No. You know, you don't no. see the light at the end of the tunnel. I, and I think that's where you really have to draw from your inward strength 
that you never knew you had. Yes. And you said, and surround yourself by positive people. Oh, yes. I think that a lot of times people who are well-meaning say, oh, well, this is a good time for you to go on vacation for a long period of time. And I'm thinking, well, that's nice. Where do I get the money to do this? Right. No kidding. (laughs) Are you funding that trip? (laughs) And um, this is, you know, the advice that you get from some people uh, is not good advice. So you have to surround yourself by people who can point you in a positive direction. So true. And meanwhile, you are still crawling out of this state of funk. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, and, you, and as you say, it's okay to be this way. Yes. But there are times when you backslide and you'll say, oh, I just can't do this. I, I need to... Right. <laughs> Crawl in my home. Right. You're, and you're constantly questioning your decisions, you know, what you're doing. Oh, Is yeah. this the right thing? Am I out of my mind? Is this yes. going to work? Yes. You know. Yes. And that's exactly where I was. But I think also, having lived, you know, a longer life, you realize that, um, hey, I've been set back before, and I've always come back. I've always made it back. That's and, great. And your f- strong faith, you, your family's belief in you, and whatever you have doubted, somehow you've managed to be successful in spite of mm-hmm. all of these things. And that's what I drew my strength on. You're your own cheering section. <laughs> you are. I think it's great. Well, th- that that is true. Mm-hmm. That is true because nobody knows what you feel inside. You're the one who has to crawl out of those bad feelings and make them positive. So true. So true. So when did you start to feel like, you know what, I really think this is going to be a whole new career for me? Well, working with Doug Fabian's book was a good start. And then I uh, was called upon um, by some very well-known financial authors that saw what I had done in the past and they realized that I wasn't on somebody's payroll anymore. Now, that, mm-hmm. there, was, there was a positive thing that happened to me there. Um, they were uh, well-known authors, and probably your listeners may not recognize their names. They were John Murphy, Larry Williams. These are financial guys that needed help. They needed help, and they knew that they could ask me because, like I said, I was a freelancer at this yes. point. And so, again, not knowing what to charge, I, I just gave everybody this, this <laughs> wonderful prize, and then I built my website. And when, once, now I, I can't emphasize enough how much people go into business for themselves need to know about marketing. Oh, yes. They need to know how to market themselves. And today it's all about social networking, but then it was you have to have a website. And I hired uh, an expert in um, copywriting. She had some great ideas. Mm-hmm. And if you type in uh, financial book publicity in Google today, my name will come up at the top. Look at that. So it's, you know, I think that, at that point, when you realize, okay, you're out there, your name is out there, your, your dream has become a reality, and you gain strength and confidence. Right. Right. And then you think, now, can you ever look back and say, you know, I can't even imagine having stayed with that company now. Right, because Best thing that ever happened to you. I would not have grown. <laughs> right. Sorry to interrupt. I said the best thing to ever happen to you. Oh, it is the best thing that ever happened to me. And what happened in the the in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, um, the markets and and you, and you have to understand that financial um, businesses respond to market activity, stock market. So people are either prosperous or they're not, um, if the, depending on where the market is going. Mm-hmm. So I, but the market just took this 
downturn, if you remember, 2008 is oh, yes. because of the financial crisis. And, you know, I'm sitting here wondering again where my new customers are going to come from. And they came because these were the people that were making money in 2008, 2009, 2010, when the market was going downwards. Mm. So here was an unexpected bonus that I, that I didn't see coming, that no one saw coming. But these people needed people, people like me, a professional like me, to take them to the media and say, look what we did. Unbelievable, Darlene. Yeah. So oh. it, was, it, it, it was a quantum leap in my business, and I was able to be really, really busy because you would be surprised how many people did make money during these um, uh, market downturns, and they weren't the Bernie Madoff types. Yes. <laughs> they, were, they were legitimate um, investors and traders, and they wrote great books that were published by a well-known book publisher called Wiley. Oh, yeah, I know. And so the Wiley folks came to me, and the authors came to me, and we just had a really great time getting these books out into the media. I love it. By the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to Darlene March. I'm Janine, the host of Get the Funk Out. And uh, Darlene, what a story. What a story. So tell me uh, some things that also happened along the way as you grew your business. Well, as I grew my business, I realized that how, you know, even though I had uh, many college education courses, I still needed to go back to school. So I went back to UCI and got a marketing and PR certificate, which, you know, were about 10 classes mm-hmm. there. And then I took QuickBooks Accounting so that I could do my own bookkeeping. I wanted to know if I was making a profit or a loss, uh, and that was important to me. I was in the financial business, so I needed to, to take a uh, handle on my own finances. I gave thanks every day for the good things in my life, my family, my friends, and my wonderful husband. And then I joined uh, Toastmasters, a professional speakers association. And when I walked into Toastmasters, and this is an important um, thing for everyone, that I I was so scared that my knees were shaking. I could not. And my girlfriend... Carol, uh, who is a mentor and, a, and a, de- a good friend of mine, said, you had so many ums in your conversation. <laughs> she said, now, you sort of cleaned up your act, and I'm really great to hear that <laughs> because so many people, when they get on the airways, and you yes. must know this, yes. um is every other word. So wait, let me back up a second. So Toastmasters, that's pretty, that's a huge move to get, to go on there and you're thinking, I'm going to give, you know, I'm going to give a speech in front of these people. Is it something you just wanted to accomplish because you felt it was a hurdle? I felt that everyone in business for themselves ought to speak succinctly and Mm -hmm. plainly and get the point across in a short period of time. And how did that go when you first started doing that? I was scared. Yeah. I was uh, I was scared probably. I was in Toastmasters for a long period of time, about 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, I finally started to get it right. But I was best in evaluations, and I never thought and never dreamed that my future would be to evaluate speakers who were paying me. Uh-huh. So whenever... Part of my skill is to provide media training to my clients, and they pay me now for that. Mm-hmm. Look at that. So that's what I learned from Toastmasters. I also went to a Professional Speakers Association and met a lot of very fine people who are professional speakers, and maybe I will never be as good as they are, but I learned so much just from listening to them. It's definitely a growing experience. It, it, I mean, as I say to my kids, I remember doing a project in graduate school at Boston University, and it was really fun. I created this educational game. It was kind of like Jeopardy, and I was confident. I got up there. I was the host of this show, you know, and it was fun. And then I gave a presentation a week later, some research project, and I wasn't as confident, and I was very nervous. 
And I said, you know, preparation is everything. That's correct. You know, it really that is. That's so right. Yeah. Preparing and give, delivering a speech in three minutes, that's a real challenge. Yes. Or delivering a speech in six minutes is a challenge. But you learn how to do that in Toastmasters. It always amazes me to see people at TEDx. Have you been to TEDx or watched it online? TEDx is... Um, it's the so same. Could you explain that? Uh, I, I think it stands for Technology Education... You know, I forget. I went to one meeting here in Irvine. But basically, people do get up and they give a speech. I think it's for five minutes about what they do professionally, something that's moved them. And, you know, you can tell people that have really prepared or something that is very meaningful because there's just an ease about them. They're not trying to sell you. Isn't that great? It is. Isn't that great? And to learn how to speak like that is such a gift. And you, and anyone can do it. It just does take some practice. Right, and you have to really feel comfortable with the story you're telling. And I think a story that is something about your your childhood and how you've grown, you can you just have to kind of look at it as you're just you're telling a story to your family and friends. You have to stop thinking about, oh my gosh, these people are staring me down. <laughs> I sound like an idiot. You know, it's it I know these people have practiced over and over and over. It's not something you, you just get up practice. and do. Yes. Yes. Well, I would highly recommend Toastmasters to anyone, and it's a very low-cost way of improving your professional life. I think that's great. So tell me, what is going on with you now? Well, now I am working with authors. I have another book that's coming out in January, and what I do is get people on TV. I get them on radio. I get their... uh, their, there are written pieces, there are articles mm-hmm. in publications online, and just recently I had one uh, for a gentleman who wrote about the economy in Barron's. That's, but basically, my niche is financial publicity. Okay. So if somebody came to me with a, you know, a love story or a fiction book, I couldn't really help them because I don't have the context. It's nonfiction, and it has to do with finance, stock market, investing. Okay. Which is great. I mean, everybody needs to know that. Well, there is a real following out there for books on finance, and Wiley and, and McGaw-Hill and Bloomberg and Pearson, they can afford to charge a l- larger amounts of money. Uh, my challenge is going to be in the future is so many Amazon now has a online publication business that's really going to compete with the large uh, publishing houses. So what that means for me is I've got to get here I got to get in action and I just had a call this morning before someone uh, before I called you if someone has a book that's being published on Amazon that is going he would like me to promote so okay. these are this this it, there's always a challenge in this business and I'm always looking to rise to meet those challenges that's fantastic tell me your mantra for getting through your funk <laughs> My mantra, and I learned it from an employer a long time ago, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. That's right. That is so true. We don't, and, we don't wallow it, in our sugar shack. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> what is sugar shack, by the way? Pardon me? I haven't been to sugar shack. Tell me, what's sugar shack? Sugar shack is a well-known coffee shop on Main Street in Huntington Beach. It's mm-hmm. where all the locals go. All right. And they have great food. And whenever I was working downtown Huntington Beach, I'd go to Sugar Shack almost every day. So there are other great restaurants down there, too. But at that time, that's my memory of how I got fired. (laughs) That was great, though. Yeah. That was great. Great story. So go ahead. Yeah, it's... It's what I think the takeaway maybe for your audience today is if you believe in yourself, you can do it. It's you do need people 
positive influences around you who can tell you that you can do it. And, it, and, it, and I did hire a consultant to have lunch with him. I paid much more to the consultant that, would, that I would make in the years to come. And, and she told me, she says, it's never too late to dream big. That's right. And I, that's the only thing I remember about this whole uh, long conversation. Is that one line? <laughs> she, gave, she gave me lots of <laughs> advice, but it's never too late was the best advice that I could have received. Well, there's also the quote I tell my listeners, it's never too late to be what you, what you might have been, which is George right. Eliot. Which, right. which my next guest coming up in just a little bit, B.J. Gallagher, I think, wrote about. But it's very true. If there's anything you've ever wanted to do, you've dreamed of doing, you're putting off, you just got to start somewhere, even if it's a little step, you know. Right, right. And maybe you make all the mistakes along the way. Right. And then later you learn how to work smarter instead of harder. But you really have to, to be willing to do this and work long days. It sounds like, and from what you had sent me, you really kept your network of people you had worked with and developed those old relationships who then you brought into your new career. Absolutely. And that was a big advantage for me, to have those contacts. And not only that, but the media Rolodex. Yes. Who are those people who have booked my clients in the past. So they knew me as, Darlene March, but they didn't know me as Darlene March of my new company. Mm-hmm. And that took a little bit of branding. But, you That's know, okay. your relationships, they stay with you forever. That's right. That's right. And it's great to evolve. I mean, you know, I can't even imagine doing what I was doing when I first got out of graduate school. I was working in training and development, and I remember thinking, this can't be it for me. I'm bored. This is not fulfilling enough. And I think you have to pay attention to those inner thoughts. Right. It's very right. important. Very important. That's how you grow. Right. And not uh, be tempted to just to stay within your comfort zone. Not to be afraid to just step your foot outside of your comfort zone and just make it happen. Yes, yes. I actually got laid off uh, years ago, and I became a freelancer doing the same thing I was doing. But that's when I realized, you know, I just... No matter how good the money, I just don't see this as my long-term career. Uh-huh. You know, and I think that this is the best thing you can do is open your, yourself up to, to change. Change is scary, but it's sometimes the best thing that could ever happen to you. Well, at the time, I thought I, could, I was not good with change, and I found out I was. Mm-hmm. So tell me, is there a website people can find out more information about you? Yes, it's at uh, www.marchmediarelations, with an S, dot com. Okay, so www.marchmediarelations.com. Correct. Wonderful. And are you on Facebook? I am on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. Okay. And I'm working my way through Twitter. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Working your way. All right, well, wonderful. Any uh, last parting words of advice for the listeners? Uh, My advice is to join social network, uh, join the social network communities. They're wonderful. And also go to Women's Sage meetings if you're in the midst of change. And if you're interested in uh, knowing more about finances for women, we have, I am president of a of an organization called WISE, Women Investing in Security and Education. And we're at wise-investors.org. Oh, and Women's Sage is womensage.org. That was also in the paper. I have uh, the article yeah. right here. Because you were at a meeting, the Women's Sage meeting, with author B.J. Gallagher, who's coming up next. So Yes, yes. Great. Well, thank you so much for calling into the show today. Oh, you're quite welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. And I will be in touch, and best of luck to you. Thank you, Janine. Thank you for having me. All right. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Darlene March talking about a whirlwind of change, how she lost her job in 2001 and uh, took all those changes and crazy times and created a whole new career for herself. And that could be you. So don't be afraid of change and all this upheaval. Uh, sometimes, it, obviously, very scary, tough times can be depressing, puts you in a major funk, uh, but there is a way out.
So coming up next, I have special guest author and motivational speaker, B.J. Gallagher. She'll be coming up in just a little bit. We're going to take a quick break, and I'll be back with more Get the Funk Out. The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information on this or other KUCI programs, visit KUCI.org or KUCITalk.org. Close your eyes for a moment. Now imagine you're away from it all. Beside a crystal clear mountain stream, the cool grass crunches underfoot. Take a deep breath and drink in the sound of water cascading over the stones as birds call out from above. A real paradise like this isn't easy to come by, but it does still exist. And with your help, places like this one can last forever. You see, the Nature Conservancy works locally with communities, businesses, and people like you to preserve the most precious natural places around the world. They protect the animals that live there, the plants that grow there, and even the water. That way, this beautiful place will be beautiful forever. And we'll make sure that closing your eyes will never be the only way to get there. I'm Paul Newman. Help the Nature Conservancy save the last great places. Visit the Nature Conservancy at nature.org. That's nature.org. We're back with Get the Funk Out. I'm your host, Janine. And up next, I have B.J. Gallagher, who's calling in to talk to us. She's an accomplished management consultant and a workshop leader, as well as a popular public speaker, specializing in workforce diversity, dealing with change, innovation, and creativity. Please welcome B.J. Gallagher. Hi, good morning. Hi, how are you this morning? Good. Thanks for calling in. Oh, thank you. Uh, Darlene joined us, Darlene March, in the first half of the show, and I read about you in last month's article in the OC Register, and I thought you'd be wonderful considering a theme of my show is Get the Funk Out. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thank you. I, every time I say it to people, they start laughing. They're like, really? <laughs> really. I love that. I've never heard that phrase before. I think it's brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. So tell me, how did you get into doing what you're doing? You're, you do a whole bunch of things. Tell me about your little backstory. Well, let's see. Um, gosh, you know, that's, that's a... Tough where, question. Do I, where do I start? I sort of, um, um, I just fall into things. I, you know, I, I see things that attract me, and I, and I, and I follow them. I like I, that. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, the way I describe it, it's sort of my uh, my lily pad theory of career development. That I'm like a little frog sitting on a lily pad. Okay. And I, I see another lily pad in the distance. It looks good. I think, oh, that looks good over there. I think I'd like to go there. But but I don't really have any way of getting there, but I just sort of make a note. Yeah, I think I'd like to be over there. And then as time goes on, uh, another lily pad comes closer and I jump, and then another lily pad comes closer and I jump. And before you know it, I'm where I wanted to be. I love it. I love but it. But it's, sort of, it's very intuitive and organic. It's not like I make a five-year career plan and say, where do I want to be in 10 years? Mm-hmm. It's much more um, intuitive and visual and... And the other thing is, um, every, every so often I meet somebody who's doing something that really resonates with me. Like years ago, I, I met a woman who was writing books and teaching seminars, and she was a therapist, and I thought, oh, that looks really interesting. And and today I'm doing what she's doing. You know what? I can relate to that. I was yeah. going to share that. I went to Syracuse University, went to an alumni luncheon, and I didn't feel like going that day, and I met an older woman who got me involved in voiceover. There you go. You know, I was intrigued. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So you've written uh, several books. I noticed you were also at the uh, Women's Sage meeting, and you were talking about the power of positive doing. Yes, that's my that's my latest book. Is the power of positive doing, which is really the complement to the power of positive thinking. Um, that that. That imagining what you want and visualizing and creating mentally is really good, but you also have to take at least one step forward. You have to take a step in that direction. Yes. And I, I think that people often often forget that, that they think it's all about 
um, you know, creative thinking. And I would say, don't forget creative acting. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I was talking to Darlene. Sometimes, you know, you want to do all these things. You just have to start. You got to take one step, you know, and just start, not just mm-hmm. thinking about it. Mm-hmm. So t- yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And sometimes, I'll take it even one step further, sometimes I, I joke that my mind has a mind of its own. <laughs> And that that I can't control it. You know, I can't make it think positive things even when I want to. And that's where the power of positive doing really comes in handy. And the book was inspired by something Ken Blanchard said at a seminar I went to 25 years ago. He said, people who feel good about themselves produce good results. Everybody knows that. Yes. But the opposite is also true. People who produce good results feel good about themselves. And he said, I don't know how to change anybody's self-esteem. I don't know how to change attitude, but I do know how to change behavior. So I work on helping people change their behavior and the self-esteem and the attitude follow. So that's really where sometimes when you can't think your way to right acting, you can act your way to right thinking. That's so true. That is so true. I love that. I love that. So it was really Ken Blanchard who inspired the whole book. And, um, you know, I've been, I've been practicing it and, and, and living it for the last 25 years, and I finally decided to write it down in a book. Now, you have an interesting background. I, I actually have a background in training and development, and I notice you do too. I do. I do. Mm-hmm. Is that something you did in college or something you did after? No, I did it, um, I, you know, I was telling a friend of mine not too long ago that when I look back on my life, oh, when I was a little girl, my favorite game was school. I yeah. love school. I love peachy folders and blackboards and, you know, calculators and lined paper and notebooks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And as I look back on my career, everything had to do with school, with education, with lifelong learning. So I, you know, I went to college, I pursued a Ph.D., I ran out of money, I got a job, and I got a job working in general education, and then I got a job working in continuing education, and that was the stepping stone to training and development, because it's a very short step from education for adults to training for adults. So then I I became the training manager for the University of Southern California. They had over 10,000 employees. I left there, became the training director for the L.A. Times. They had 12,000 employees. And so I went from education to training. And then when I left the L.A. Times in 91, I I just keep doing what I was doing there, except I'm an external trainer rather than an internal trainer. I see. And focusing a lot on motivational training? Um, I, I like to think that my training is both practical as well as inspirational. Okay. Um, you know, some of us, we call it edutainment. Yes, <laughs> yes. That, that you have to uh, entertain people and engage them and then slip some learning in and some skills development. And that's why I really prefer working with adults rather than kids. Originally, I thought I might like to be a professor, and then I discovered I really didn't like working with young people. I like adults because adults bring so much more to the learning experience. I actually, when I got out of graduate school at Syracuse, I had to help develop games for a bank in Canada. And I remember going and running a pilot of these games, all adults, and they had a blast because, you know, we forget how to play. Yes. And it's so important. And they had such a good time. And we're just talking about, it was a game about the, a very dry subject, the, the features and benefits of product, product um, like it was product knowledge, that's what they called it. But it was basically checking accounts and savings accounts and dry stuff, but I made it fun. And it was so interesting to see these adults in a very playful mode, mm-hmm. you know. Well, it's true. And, you know, where I have a therapist friend who says, you know, I, I've never met an adult she said, I think we're all just little kids in grown-up bodies. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's great. It is. And, and people learn best. Children have short attention spans. Well, so do adults. 
And children learn best by, by doing, by getting their hands involved, by, by solving problems. And adults do, too. Yes. And so, you know, this old model, like from college, where the professor lectures and everybody sits there passive, it's a terrible way to teach anybody anything. Right. So adults or kids. And so, you know, trainers, we, we get people involved and we, we um, you know, I, I really do believe that people have their own answers inside. My job is to is to use the Socratic method. My job is to ask good questions and manage the process mm-hmm. so that they discover their own answers, their own motivation, their own inspiration. It's not something I give them. I, I help them unlock something that they've already got inside of themselves. That's fantastic. I love that. And then, and then they think I'm brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> they do all the work, and they think I'm brilliant. Uh, I love it. <laughs> of course you are. Yeah, no, that's great. That is great. It's very clever. Well, we get trapped into being so serious and we forget how to be playful and open up our minds again, you know. Yes, yes, we do. Mm-hmm. We do. Tell me about your best-selling book, A Peacock in the Land of Penguins. Well, that was based on my um, my five years working at the L.A. Times. You know, when I left USC and went to the Times, I thought, oh, great, it's a... You know, it's similar to a news to a university. It's about truth and knowledge and words and ideas. But what I found was that their business practices were very traditional, bureaucratic, archaic, stuffy, good yes. old boy. Yes. And I, I, I was. It was a great place to work, and it was a terrible place to work. And after a couple of years, I, I, I realized I, I just don't fit here, and I. I realized I felt like a peacock among the penguins. <laughs> With the penguins, all they thought alike, they walked alike, they talked alike. And if you questioned anything, you were seen as not a good team player. Well, having come from a university where people are valued for their creativity and their ideas and, and debate, that if you have an idea, other people's job is to punch holes in it, to test it and make sure it's a good idea. But in a corporation, if you punch holes in somebody's idea, you're seen as disloyal. Right. And, and so I just, that's where the, the image came from. I thought, I, I'm just a peacock. I don't, I'm, I'm colorful. I'm fast-paced. I'm entrepreneurial. I'm a little noisy. And, um, I love it. And I just didn't fit in. And then when I left in 91, I was six months later, I was still so upset that I, I just started writing to get it out of my system. I, it was a mental health exercise. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, the story turned into a book, and then the book got published, and then we did a video. And now it's published in 23 countries around the world. It's sold over 360,000 copies Whoa. of selling. <laughs> and what I found was I wasn't alone. There are hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands of peacocks or loony birds or 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 flamingos, or parrots, or there's all sorts of really wonderful, talented people struggling to have happy, successful careers in organizations that say, here, put on a penguin suit. Right. You have to change to be accepted by us. Mm. And I think that's why it's been so successful, is it's a universal story. That is so true. I love that. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, we're talking to uh, author and speaker, B.J. Gallagher, and your website is PeacockProductions.com, right? Yes, uh-huh. That's my business website, and I have uh, uh, some of my women's books are on uh, WomenNeedToKnow.com uh, with the number two, WomenNeedToKnow.com. But the Peacock Productions is where all my business books go. The Peacock book is there, uh, Being Buddha at Work. So, you know, that's I have a couple of identities. Let me ask you, for people that are in a funk professional or personal, what advice could you give them? I have all sorts of advice for people in a funk. Uh, and the first is that it's, it's normal, it's human, it's okay to get in a funk once in a while. The question is, do you want to live there? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's okay to feel sorry for yourself or be depressed or be down. And, and sometimes there's something to be learned from the funk, yes. from, from the darkness. But I try not to, I, I, I always tell people, honor your feelings, but don't wallow in them. And, you know, spend some time, see what the funk has to teach you, 
and then move on. You know, keep moving because life is short. So a a, a number of things. One is to um, do something athletic. Maybe just walk the dog around the block because when you get your body moving, moving, you generate endorphins. Scrubbing the kitchen floor, washing the car, hiking with the dog. I mean, I find anything physical makes me feel better. Sure. Um, uh, Calling a friend. Uh, A really huge way to get you snap yourself right out of it is be of service to someone else. There are always people who have it much worse than you do. Sure. We were just talking about that this time of the year, whether you're helping feed the homeless or donating things, just your time. Is oh yeah, I've been I've been fostering cats and kittens for the last month, uh-huh. and I love it because I, it gets me out of myself, my self-centered, selfish. What about me? I want more money. I want more, and it gets me totally into that service. These little creatures, you know, some of the some of the cats are on death row, and we uh-huh. go into the shelter and save them. Some of them are kittens, just a few weeks old, and we have to get them out of there before they get respiratory infections and die. And it's so gratifying because it's also short-term work. You know, in a few weeks, you've turned them around, and then they can go and be adopted. Oh, that's great. So it's not like you have to make a huge commitment. Just, you know, a commitment of time and space and nurturing them, bottle feeding them. It's really, I mean, there's lots of ways to be of service. I love to be of service to animals because I'm also being of service to people. Those animals are going to go on and make wonderful pets for some human being. Yes, yes. You know, so I, I like to combine the two. Uh, this time of year when the focus is so much on the holidays and shopping and bye bye bye, you know, I like I love to hear stories of people going out and helping other people. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. On, on Thanksgiving, uh, you know, there's a wonderful church in Pasadena called All Saints Episcopal Church, and they hold a big um, you know, gathering for the homeless in the park. And there have been many Thanksgivings where I'll bake two turkeys. I'll bake one for my family, and I'll bake one and drive it over to Pasadena and drop it off in the park, and it gets served to, um, you know, to some of the homeless people there. So nice. There's just simple ways that don't take a lot of money or a lot of time that you can be of service to other people. Um, Yeah, I just just love it, too. I don't get into the Cyber Monday or Black Friday. I mean, first of all, we're, we're all sort of at a stage in life where... Who needs more stuff? No, I know. Really? Who needs more <laughs> stuff? <laughs> I know. And look what technology is doing to us. We're not even communicating, you know? Yeah. It's terrible. Yeah, I mean, I had a, 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 a surprising Thanksgiving. The day before Thanksgiving, my stepdad called and said he blacked out and had to go into the hospital. And oh. my mother has Alzheimer's, and she can't be alone. Oh. So on the busiest traffic day of the year, I got in my car. <sighs> grabbed my dog, took one of the foster kittens with me because he wasn't eating, oh. and I knew I couldn't leave him at home, poured big bowls of food for everybody else, locked up the house, left, spent four hours driving to San Diego. Oh, my gosh. And then Thanksgiving Day, I spent scrubbing my mother's bathroom from top to bottom because it reeked of a litter box, Yes, scrubbing his bathroom from top to bottom, stripping their beds, washing the sheets, all the linens, cleaning out the refrigerator. You know, I just spent the whole day cleaning their house. Unbelievable. And it felt really good to be of service. He's 89. She's almost 85. And to do something that they obviously can't do for themselves, it was a great Thanksgiving and it, because it wasn't about me, it was right. about being of service right. to my mom and my stepdad. Oh, that's I have chills. That's incredible, unbelievable. And I, I called a friend at the end of the day who lives in La Jolla. I was going to go pick up a box of books, and she was having dinner for seventeen people. And she said, "Oh, would you like a couple plates of food?" I said, "Oh, that would be great." Oh, absolutely. So at five o'clock, we drove up there, picked up the books, came back to mom's house, had wonderful Thanksgiving dinner that oh. neither one of us had to cook. <laughs> so I cleaned Perfect. house all day and had a wonderful dinner with my elderly mother. Perfect. It was oh, perfect. Nice. It was just perfect. It, it was tiring and it was perfect. Oh, that's great. And I hope it didn't take you four hours to get home. No, I, I didn't come home till. did I come home the next day? Yeah, I came home the next day and it wasn't bad. It oh, was good. the normal the normal two hours. Oh, good. And uh, and I brought mom home with me because he was still in the hospital. Okay. So you know my mom spent the rest of the weekend 
here with me, and, you know, we're walking the dog and mm-hmm. doing simple things, and it's a new experience for both of us. She's, sure. She's not used to being in my house, and I'm not used to having her here in my house. So. Sure. Well, that's tremendous what you did. Well, it's, it's you know, it's part of, I, I'm thankful that my mother's still alive, that I can do things for her. But what I realize is she doesn't need presents or things. She's not even interested in food anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just time. Yes. Time and helping her with a little exercise and and just hanging out with her. Um, that's all she wants. Yeah, that's all she wants, and mm-hmm. I think that's all... That's all I want from my son, too. When he, when he asked me, what do you want to do for a holiday or something, I said, I don't really care what we do. I just want to be with you. So right, right. if we go to the movies or we go walk our dogs or whatever we do, you know, my son and my mom are my two favorite people on the planet. So I just want to hang out with them. Right. Everything else is nothing. I mean, it's just meaningless. All the little gizmos people buy each other. All they just, people just want quality time. Yeah, and, 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 and at my age, I t- you know, when stuff when people give me gifts, I usually recycle it within six months. It's like, I don't want more jewelry. I don't want more household tchotchkes. I understand people really want to do something nice, yes. but I think, oh, please don't give me stuff. Right. Don't I don't need stuff. stuff. Thank you. <laughs> Hope none of your friends are listening. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, give me cases of, of kitten milk. Right. You know? Exactly. Bags of kitty litter. I know. Not like that I can use. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. Any last parting words before we wrap up, BJ? Well, I, you know, the holidays are, are upon us, and I, I think the thing I would just want to remind people is the best things in life aren't things. Mm-hmm. They're, they're time, attention, love, caring, holding hands, wiping a dirty face, feeding a kitten, whatever it is, just, um, you know, try to, try to stay clear of the, the tug that makes you want to buy stuff. It's so true. Thank you so much for calling into the show. You're welcome. You're welcome. Well, happy, happy Monday after Thanksgiving, and I hope Thank you, you have a beautiful December. Thank you so much. BJ Gallagher, Good. thanks again. Bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Get the Funk Out, first half of the show, Darlene March, and second half, B.J. Gallagher. If you want to find out more about today's show, I'll be posting it on my blog, which is getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org, and I'll have the entire interview up. If you missed any part of it a little later on today, I'll have it up on my blog. Up next, I have Sheldon Abbott here, ready to take over with Cure for the Blues. Have a great Monday, everybody. I'll be back next week.